Alerting us to those who would keep us from our access to God, here is Pastor Ed Taylor. In religious activity, people often want to put the veil back up and bring some kind of separation between you and God. Do you know that sometimes you want to put the veil back up as you condemn yourself over your behavior, as you condemn yourself over your failures, as you fail to remember the mercy and the grace of God? Because sometimes we can get caught up in our relationship with God in a performance-based relationship. That if you toe the line, then God will love you. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You The veil of the temple was taken away by God when Jesus died on the cross, proving his love. It opened the way to God for all who come by faith in Jesus. Access to God. Imagine that. We'll do that and more on today's Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We're in the book of Hebrews, and in chapter 10, we're encouraged to take advantage of this privileged access provided by God. Here now to help us do just that is Pastor Ed. Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to pick up where we left off last time in verse 19. And so let's read together Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 19, where the Bible says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter in the holiness by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We are on the other side now of Hebrews toward the finish line where the letter becomes rather practical to encourage the Hebrews to stay strong and steady in their relationship with Jesus. Remember, they were tempted to go backwards to the formality of religion. They were tempted to go backwards to that which they lost, to a place of comfort. The life of faith was very difficult for them. They lost everything for their faith in Jesus Christ. And they are being reminded that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he, entered, he ushered in a new covenant. And that new covenant replaced the old covenant, exactly as God predicted he replaced the old covenant with this, notice verse 20, it's called a new and living way. A way that gives life. A way that is now rooted in a faith in Jesus Christ, the once and for all sacrifice for our sins. And now because of the work that Jesus has done, we have this invitation, verse 19. We're invited to enter in boldly. And that's an invitation that goes out to everyone, not just a select few. Notice again, verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness. Circle that word boldness there in your Bible, would you? And right next to it, confident speech. Confident speech. The idea behind this word is that you speak forth with confidence. 
It's the kind of confidence that you have that you are convinced in what you're saying. So in that sense of confidence and being convinced, enter into the presence of God. But here's what happens. Often we choose not to enter into the presence of God because we don't deem ourselves worthy. We don't think we deserve it. And so therefore, we measure our lives by our works. And when we see that our works don't measure up, we go, well, I'm not going, I can't enter in. That's not from God for me. I'm not going to enter in because I'm not good enough. Oftentimes, that is experienced and expressed in our times of communion. When we offer you the bread and the cup to remember the work of Jesus Christ in our life. Do you know every single week, communion is skipped by people who believe they're not worthy or good enough to take communion. Now, of course, I'm speaking of believers here, those that have placed their faith in Jesus and have been forgiven. But the reality of that sense that will we ever be worthy or will we ever deserve to take communion or to enter in, the answer is no. We don't enter in based on our way, but notice it says in verse 20, we enter in based on a new and living way. It's not our performance. The believer in Jesus Christ today has access to God far greater than anything that was ever allowed in the Old Covenant. You'll recall in our studies, we learned in the Old Covenant that the presence of God that was in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle or the Holy of Holies now in the temple where that box was there, the Ark of the Covenant, and then the lid on top of the box, what was it called? The mercy seat where only one time a year by only one person could they enter in behind the veil and offer up the blood of the sacrifice on the day of atonement. One person, one moment, one day a year could enter into the very presence of God in that holy of holies where the Shekinah glory, the brightness of God, that's where he chose, remember, we learned, on the mercy seat in the old covenant, that's where God chose to dwell among his people. And so now today in the new covenant, you and I can enter in. We're invited. You're invited today. Enter into the presence of God. Let's draw near and let's bring our cares and concerns, our joys and our sorrows to the Lord. Literally no one could enter in. And this is a revolutionary truth for those that were listening. It is so revolutionary that I believe it's so commonplace for us as which is why I believe it's neglected. We very rarely enter into the presence of God throughout our days. I mean, I think that the, we examine our lives, I know I examine my life, that rarely do I find myself, it's easier to worry. Is it not easier to worry? <laughs> it's easier to worry. Uh, on this trip that we went, we had all these back-to-back plane trips and such, and, and, and I don't do well with that kind of stuff. I don't do well running to catch a plane. I don't do well getting my luggage. I don't do well with that. But you know who does? Randy. Randy does well with that. And so we, we had a delay here and a this there, and we had to check our bags there. We had to go out of security. Oh, and on and on and on. I look at Randy, and I go, this doesn't look good. And Randy says, sure it does. And I said, Randy, you're, you're out of your mind, man. We're going to miss our flight. It's going to be all over. We're not going to get to visit. And what does Randy say? You know what, Ed? We should just pray. All right, Randy. 
Let's pray. And he enters into the presence, takes me with him. No problem. Things get worked out. We make it. And, and not, there, were, there were no problems. And, and Randy, that's one of the things that I'm going to share with him, is that I really appreciate him being alongside in that piece of my life because I just, I just don't like it. And instead of entering in, I enter into my head. Now, all you, some of you guys are judging me. Do you not do that? <laughs> I just enter into my head. I start fretting. And the Bible says not to fret. And it's good to have people around you that will remind you, no, the Bible says enter in. The Father says come in through the veil. Wait a minute, that's the holy of holies. Come on in. You know why? The veil is no longer there. It has been torn in two. Turn over to Matthew chapter 27. Let me show you. Matthew chapter 27. In the new covenant, there is no longer a separation between God and man that has not been bridged by Jesus Christ. So anyone can enter into the presence of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Anyone of any status, good works, bad works. Just so you know, in my prayerlessness over a, mi a minor thing about getting our bags at the airport, my prayerlessness, which is disobedience, which is not entering in, did not prevent God from loving me. He didn't turn his back and go, you know what right now, Ed? I love Randy more than I love you. He didn't do that because God doesn't love us based on our performance. <laughs> he loves us based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. He loves us based upon his love. We love him. Why? The Bible says because he first loved us. And the veil of the temple has been torn in two. When Jesus Christ died, a miraculous things took place. Check this out. Matthew chapter 27. Pick up with me in verse 47. Matthew 27, verse 47. Let's start in verse 45. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness all over the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood there when they heard that said, this man's calling for Elijah. And immediately one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. The rest said, let him alone. Let's see if Elijah will come and save him. Verse 50. Jesus, when he had cried out again with a loud voice, yielded up his spirit. And mark this in verse 51. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth quaked and the rocks were split and the graves were open, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Now, this is what gets most of attention at the crucifixion. Like Jesus has these final words, and as he's sharing with them, he has these final words, but miraculous things are taking place. First of all, there's this blackness, this darkness that takes over the land. Then there is the earthquake then there is the resurrection. These, there was literally people that came out of the graves at the crucifixion of Jesus when he died out of the graves and walked into the city. Can you imagine that? That gets a lot of attention. And then there's that thing of the veil tearing, the veil tore from top to bottom. Of all that we see here in the miraculous around Jesus, the veil being torn in two from top to bottom is the most significant thing that took place. 
Now, you may not think it's that big a deal, but that was the most significant thing. Oh, but Ed, man, there are people that rose from the dead. That's pretty, that's pretty amazing. But the, the veil tearing, that's more amazing. Why? Because it ushered in a new and living way where no longer is there separation from you and God. You can come right in by faith in Jesus. Consider the veil for a second. The veil that hung in the temple was massive. It was 60 feet high, 30 feet wide, and 10 inches thick. It was made of 72 braids, each consisting of 24 cords, and it was so heavy, this veil, that it took 300 priests to hang it. And the Bible is very clear that it didn't tear from the bottom up, which would, it would kind of imply that man had something to do with it. It would imply that, hey man, at 60 feet high, and if we work our way down at the bottom, we slowly work our way up, we can tear this thing. No, it's tore from the top to the bottom because the top up speaks of the presence of God. And, and the bottom speaks of the presence of man. So it came from God to man, and it ripped in, in two, and it's no longer there. Even though through religion, you know, through religious activity, people often want to put the veil back up and bring some kind of separation between you and God. Do you know that sometimes you want to put the veil back up as you condemn yourself over your behavior? as you condemn yourself over your failures, as you fail to remember the mercy and the grace of God. Because sometimes we can get caught up in our relationship with God in a performance-based relationship, a performance. Now, you may not think of that way, but let me explain it to you. you. You look at God kind of legalistically, that if you toe the line, then God will love you. And so you spend a lot of energy and effort to toe the line, whatever that line might be. Whole churches and whole movements have been made around different rules and different regulations to help people feel like they're right with God. I mean, whole things like the way you dress, the length of your skirt, ladies, uh, how, whether you wear makeup or not, the language you use, there are a thousand different, the car you drive, there's all kinds of things that are laid out before us that really are secondary matters to the primary matter of God's love for you. And on a simpler scale, when you fail, many people feel like God loves them less when they fail and loves them more when they succeed. It is simply not the case. God loves you despite your performance. God loves us. He loves us despite our performance. You come and you think, well, I'm going to work a little harder. I'm going to do a little better. I'm going to give a little more tithes. I'm going to do this more. And then just maybe God will hear me. But that's not God at all. He loves you no matter what. By faith in Jesus Christ, he loves you. I was thinking about this in, in light of sports. You know, just before service yesterday, I received a text notifying me that my football team lost in overtime. First of all, those people were not very nice to tell me that right before service. But it reminded me, even if they lose, they're still my team. I'm not happy about the loss, but they're my team. So they're not going to discourage me. I'm kind of bummed out of what happened, but, but they're my team. You know, and they lost. You know, you Bronco fans, you totally understand this. <laughs> you Rockies fans really understand it. 
It's one of the things, it's one of the things that I've appreciated about Colorado that I didn't experience in Southern California, and that is an intense loyalty in sports. Through the ups and the downs, which have been many downs and a few ups. And sometimes the, that loyalty will be spoken down upon, like, oh, I wish you were more loyal to Jesus like you were. Look, look, don't, that, that's not the point. I just want you to know, if you're a loyal fan of sports, that inside of you resides a loyalty that will be greater enhanced when you point that toward the Lord. Like, it's in you. It doesn't matter if your team goes, oh, in how many games in a season? 16? Oh, in 16. You might be upset. You might not like it. But that's my team. And then what happens? What happens for the last 20 years? Here, maybe next year. Maybe next year. Maybe next year. Why? Because of that, you love your team, good or bad. Now, what we do in simple sports, think of it from God, God's perspective. He loves you, win or lose. He loves you. Now, you may not feel that, but you have to take that feeling and submit it to God. Say, no, I know I don't feel that because I, I feel like I'm a loser. I, I feel like I've lost. And let me just say, if you've lost, you have failed, God still loves you by faith in Jesus Christ. And he invites you to enter in in a new and living way of the finished work of Jesus Christ. So separate from sports for a second and just think the, the, things that we, the things that plague us are rooted sometimes in our conscience. Like our conscience is bugging us. Or we're beating ourselves up for something years ago. Uh, we lost an opportunity and we have regrets. But Hebrews covers that. Notice, it says, come back to Hebrews 10 with me. Up at the top there in verse 22, I think it is. Yeah, 22. So this covers it. It says, let us draw near with a true heart. So how do we have a true heart? But by faith in Jesus Christ. And full assurance of faith because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. And our bodies purified for the work of God. It is all the work of God so that by faith we believe that what he has done is sufficient. And what do we do? We enter in. We enter in. We don't turn away, but we come boldly. That confident speech, man, we are confident in what God said, so we enter in. Some of you are in church today living out this verse. You have decided to enter in boldly. You look back on it, your last year or two, you look back on your last few months, you go, man, they haven't been good months, but I'm boldly entering in. I want to recommit my life to Jesus Christ. I want to follow him with all that I have. I want to finish my race well. And God receives you today. But some of you are here today. Some of you might listening in on the radio or watching online that you think somehow church attendance makes you closer to God. Or showing up at a building with others make, makes you closer to God. And you know it doesn't. Now, you're in a great atmosphere, and God's going to speak to you. He's going to minister to you. But whether you come to church or not doesn't make you closer to God. And you go, Ed, what are you saying? Here's what I'm saying. God's love for you has no bearing whatsoever whether you go to church or not. And you're saying, well, Ed, if I hear you correctly, does that mean I never have to come back to church again? That's exactly what I'm saying. You never have to go to church ever again your entire life. You never have to pray to God ever again your entire life. You, you never have to give your tithes and offerings ever again your entire life. Because your new relationship with Jesus, the new and living way, 
is not described by have to. You guys with me so far? It's described by get to. So we don't show up and go, I have to be there because I have to please God. No. It's not have to. I get to. My life has changed. My time with you is, an, is a response for the love of God in my life. When I put in my tithe and offering in the box or I do it online, that's my response to God's love. When I serve and I sign up and I want to serve the kids, all this alternative, I do it because I love God. I do it because I'm wanting to please God. I'm doing it because he first loved me and now my life has changed. It's not have to. I don't have to do anything. By faith in Jesus Christ now, I get to go in a new and living way. It's not the deadness of old religion that is just a bunch of rules and regulations. It's the new and living way of grace and the finished work of Jesus Christ that radically changes your life. Love is the greatest motivator on the planet Earth. It will move mountains and seem like it is done at such great ease. We get to. You know, God sees not running a factory, you know. <laughs> As a, Pastor Chuck Smith taught us this, I love it. Stuck with me forever. Sometimes we look at God like a factory manager, you know. And he's just looking for production. You know, you've got to do this and you've got to do more. And we've got to have efficiency. And if we did one thing last week, we've got to do two things this week. But God's not, he's not looking, his focus in us is not production. You're not an assembly line. It's not measured how much we do, how much you've done, how much you haven't done. How much, it's not that at all. If there's a picture of God in the Bible, it's not a factory manager. The greatest picture of God when it comes to us is as a gardener. He's a gardener. And what do gardeners do? They take care of the garden. That takes the pressure off of us to produce. That's up to the Lord. It's His garden, and we can be sure He'll tend to it. More on this next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Pastor Ed, since the Lord is our Father and He loves His children, why is it so difficult for so many to receive His love? How do we reach one who thinks they're not loved because they're not measuring up? Can you suggest an approach? You know, I'd love to suggest an approach, Larry, because we want to be careful to deliver the message in a way that it can be received. So we want to be very careful with those that are wrestling with the feeling that they don't measure up, and because of that, they can't be loved, and maybe even to the point where woe is me, and they're perhaps even in a pity party because that feeling is overwhelming, that sense of being undeserving, um, but the reality is, is that as we come carefully into their lives, we can help them acknowledge the faithfulness of God. We can help them acknowledge the goodness of God. And, and we can validate the reality of, you know, man, I, I am undeserving. I'm not measuring up. But God is growing us, and we're changing day by day. And we're growing more into the image of Christ every day. And he is working in us and through us so that our lives might be uh, a testimony to his faithfulness. So keep your eyes on the Lord. And the approach is just to go in carefully, to go in prayerfully, and having that assurance that the work of God is complete. Very helpful. Thanks again, Pastor Ed. 
If you joined us late or would just like to hear the message again, drop by AboundingGraceRadio.com. Another way to listen to Pastor Ed is through the app. It's free. Just search for Calvary Church or Ed Taylor. And we're also on Apple Podcasts. Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners, just like you. And when you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, be sure to request The Jesus Style by Gail Irwin. You'll observe Jesus as the ultimate servant and discover how to become great in the kingdom of God through servanthood. Call 877-30-GRACE and don't forget to request the Jesus style. That's 877-30-GRACE. You can also order it online at calvaryco.store. That's calvaryco.store. Pastor Ed always enjoys hearing from his listeners. Even just a quick hello means a lot. To request prayer, ask a question, or to let us know what God is up to in your life, email us through the website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. And then be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from the book of Hebrews. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.